This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Turn to Acts chapter 19. Turn to Acts chapter 19 and let's stand together. We're going to dive into Acts chapter 19 uh, together. And I want to make a confession to you. As I'm reading through this, as I get to people's names, I'll start mumbling. It's because I don't know how to pronounce these names. And I've tried and I've listened and I've done what I can, but no matter what, I just can't form my mouth to say the names the way they need to be said. So I'm going to mumble through them. I, I figure if I say it fast and confidently, you'll think I know what I'm saying, okay? Verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two helpers, Timothy and Eurydice, and himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with a workman in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from the business, uh, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear and uh, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come to uh, may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of these great goddess Artemis. Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of, of, the, of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Articus and, and uh, the Macedonians, whom, whom were Paul's uh, companions in travel. And when Paul wished to go in among the crowds, the disciples who would not let him in, and even some of the Arachians, Ar- and, and the friends of his sent to him, some cried out one thing, some another from the assembly and was in confusion. And most of them didn't even know what they had come together for. Some of the crowds prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander motioning with his, with, uh, and Alexander motioning with his hand wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but they would not recognize because he was a Jew. For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" And when they turned, the clerk had, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, "Men of Ephesus, whom is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quieted and not do nothing rash." For you have brought these men here who are neither uh, sacrilegious or blasphemous for our goddess. If you, Demetrius, and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are uh, and uh, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls 
Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when we had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, to come back and preach this text is... um, some of you will say just classic Aaron, you know. Uh, I always seem to land on riotous texts. Um, and and, and there's, there's something to reading Scripture that I think um, we, we need to be aware of. Uh, one is we have things that make us hard of hearing. Can you say amen to that? We have things that make it hard for us to hear. And most of those things that make it hard for us to hear are bad beliefs about God. Bad theology, if you'll let me put it that way. Bad thoughts about what the gospel is. And in our world, predominantly the world that we live in, the American church, we've been told a couple of things. One, we've been told that we believe that the gospel is the good news unto prosperity. So if you believe in God and you trust in Jesus and you give a little bit of tithe, what will happen is you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll be blessed financially. Sow a seed, meet your greed. Send in a dollar, I'll send you back a healing. We find ourselves in danger of making transactions with the God, of trying to seek after something completely different than the gospel itself because we believe. And often when we hit points in our lives where things are disruptive, confrontive, and painful, we don't believe that the gospel would ever do that to us. There's no way that's God. He never confronts me. He always blesses me. He always hugs me. We always cuddle. (laughs) And the reality of what takes place in our own world, in our own lives, is our Christianity has become this, this fit into the American idea of what the good news is. The American dream, prosperity, health, wealth, has become the proclamation of the gospel. So because of that, it's hard for us to hear the gospel. The other thing is, it it feels as if the church in America has completely lost all sense of the word discernment. Here's here's what I mean by that. We believe in all the gifts, like that God does all those kind of gifts has carried on, prophecy, prophecy, all those gifts, they've continued into our lives, and we get to see all the gifts being full, and then you have these people who, like myself, believe in the gifts, except for we believe the one gift that's passed away is the gift of discernment. That passed away with the apostles. 
Like we literally believe that we are not called just to proclaim the gospel, but that this gospel that is proclaimed is going to confront idols. Hear me on this. There are idols in every culture. There are idols in every workplace. There are idols in every family. There are idols in our hearts. There are idols that are still at work and controlling our lives. There are idols. And those idols are going to be confronted when the gospel is preached. But that's it's hard because we really like to be liked. We love being liked. I love it when you like me. Right? I do. I'm not lying. That is true. I love it. And preaching a message like this, I know when you preach a message like this, because I've had it happen, you preach a message like this, and what ends up happening is no matter what you said, what people hear who are worshiping idols, what they hear is that you hate them. And you're trying to destroy their lives. Because here's what you have to know about idolatry. Somebody who's worshiping an idol cannot separate their identity from their worship. Because when you worship something, you find your identity in it. That's true about the gospel. When you worship Jesus, you find your identity in Jesus. When you worship idols, you can't distinguish who you are from who that idol is. So when you go after someone's idolatry or someone's worship or someone's sin, they feel like you are hating on them. You're destroying their lives. You're personally attacking them. No matter how many times, you see this with Paul, they start hating. Paul's ruining our business. Paul's changing my wealth. Paul's Messing with our gods. And Paul is outside of these riots. Now, do you see this picture? And they all just ranting and chanting. And they're, I love this. They're confused. At one point in the scripture, it says they don't even know what they're rioting about after two hours of screaming. They know they're mad. But they don't even know what for. And Paul's like, let me in there. Let me in there. I'll try to talk to him. Let me in there. And they're like, Paul's destroying our life. And he's trying to come in. And the disciples are like, hey, Paul, it's probably better for you to kind of stay out for a while. Thank God for those disciples. Paul's like, there's nothing more painful as a preacher to call people to worship Jesus and then to be have your words taken and being saying, you're trying to destroy my life. Paul wants to come in. Let me clarify. I'm not trying to just ruin this guy's business. I want people to worship. He's outside trying to come in. They're like, no, stay out. They're going to kill you if you go in there. Everywhere Paul went, this was the reality of his life. Now, listen, in our circles, like we're reformed, you know, we, Calvinistic, whatever it is, our, our circles. Paul's our guy. You know what I mean? He wrote Romans. He's like our celebrity. We, 
We are a celebrity culture, so we make celebrities out of everybody, even Paul. We look back at Paul, and he could do no wrong. Like, he goes everywhere. And when we think of Paul, like, traveling around, we literally put him in the category of, like, traveling evangelists today. But let me just say, that wasn't Paul. Paul was not a celebrity preacher who traveled around and just put up tents. Now, he built tents as a trade. He didn't even make money off his preaching. But he didn't go around doing tent revivals, building big churches. Matter of fact, he would stay in towns for years. And as we're watching Paul on these missionary journeys, he would camp there for years. God would keep him for the, there for years. I mean, Paul's our guy. We so much make him a celebrity that he could do no wrong. And even when we come to places where he's like breaking up with Barnabas, we're like, well, Barnabas had to be the problem. You know what I mean? Paul couldn't have done anything wrong. Or even a couple weeks ago, as we're going through where Paul's refuting with people in the synagogues, and the scripture says he gets so frustrated, he goes, forget all of you. Basically, F all of you, right? I'm done with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to people who want to hear. Forget this. I'm never coming back into the synagogue. Stomps out, and even scripture says he's done and frustrated, and God uses the church, friends, co-workers to say, no, you're not stomping out. You're staying here for another year and a half. And you, the next day, he's back in the same synagogue he stomped out of. Paul's ministry was marked with miracles, signs and wonders, preaching. But hear me on this. It was also marked with persecution and pain and wanting to give up. You know what we do to our celebrities? We talk about how great they are, how many great things they do, and we don't see the realities of the pain, the suffering, the persecution. Everywhere he went, he was being thrown in prison. You're like, it's cool. All he had to do was sing a worship song and be let out. The reality of the persecution this faced shows this thread we've seen through all of Acts. And here's what you have to remember to not get sucked into this celebrity culture that we're in and make these apostles and Paul and all these guys great celebrities. Here's what you've got to remember. We've learned this from, from Acts chapter 1. And when I say this, you, better, you, you all better say amen, right? Jesus is alive. Amen. Yeah, that's where the church should say amen. Jesus is alive alive. Amen? And this book is not about the apostles. It's not about Paul. It's not about the church. This book is about a living Jesus who is still at work. That Jesus is alive and he is at work amongst his church by the power of his spirit. He has sent his people into all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. It's not going to be boxed in to this little group any longer. This gospel is going to all the world. And that he is going to make for himself a people made up of all nations. This kind of stuff gets me so fired up. Is why as a church, as a pastoral team... We have such a desire for someone to walk into this building and to look around and go, oh, who brings these people together? 
I mean, most communities, most churches you walk into, if you're honest, you can kind of quickly figure out, do I fit in? Do I have the same clothes? Am I the same skin color? Do I make the same amount of money? You could kind of find out, do I fit in or do I not fit in? My prayer is that we would go to a place that people would walk in and kind of be confused. And their only result in, in seeing us together would be, Jesus had to do this. This is Jesus. Rich, poor, young, old, all colors, all nations, all tribes, loving one another. Because through that, when they see our love for one another, they see Jesus is alive and still at work. That's what you see happening through the church. When you see signs and wonders and people being healed and miracles taking place, church, you better believe what they would do is going, you see this? And people are like, yeah, I want, I want healing. I want miracles. And they're like, no, you don't. You want in a living Jesus. They would use the miracles to point them not to the miracle, but to the risen Jesus. And when they would do that, they would get opposition. No, he's not alive. That's what they're arguing about in the synagogues. They, uh, you can see over and over again, they're arguing over the resurrection. No, he's not alive. We killed him. No, you didn't. You killed him. He conquered death, hell, the grave. He rose from the dead. And now we are his resurrected people. And they're like, no! <laughs> Every time the people who tried to kill him would see the church on move, it would be another reminder, he's alive. He's alive. But not just miracles, church. Last week we saw that it wasn't just miracles, signs, and wonders, we've seen this over and over again, that bring people to see that Jesus is alive, but it's persecution and pain. disruptions. I mean, you see, remember when Ananias and Sapphira didn't give in the offering? I mean, that's a crazy offering right there. They die, get dragged out. Right after it says, man, people got scared and nobody wanted to join that church. That's what it said. And then it says right after that, that so many people started joining into the community and believing in God. What? through the death of disobedient people. God doesn't just use healing and miracles to bring people to know him. Last week we saw this, even sons of Sceva, right? Dana was talking about it. What happens is you see these people evoking the name of Jesus, going to cast him out, and it was through one demon whooping the tail of seven people who just wanted the power of God without God himself. That many people come to know who Jesus is. We see this continued thread taking place and it's hard for us to grab a hold of this because in a sermon like this, it goes against everything we want to hear when we come to church how we could be healthy, wealthy, wise, prosperous. When you read a text like this, it's riotous. It's disruptive. 
There's no way to tame it to make you feel comfortable. And I know that if I stand here and I go after mine and your idols, there's a couple things that will happen. One, you'll get mad at me. Two, you'll get confused. Both things happened in this text. Both things happened. And as a preacher, there's a couple things I don't want. One, I don't want you to be mad at me. And two, I want you to have clarity. I'm trying to bring clarity. But no matter what, this kind of reality happens so often as the gospel is being preached. Some people respond in faith and trust and repentance, and other people get angry and get confused. I can't, believe, I can't tell you how many people, even in this room, have been mad at me, like I am personally coming after you, and I want to change. I'm not. Please let me in. No, Aaron, you better not go in there right now. They'll literally stab you if you go in there. <laughs> I was saying, here's life. I was saying, here's true worship. I don't want you to hate me. It happens. I don't want you to be confused, but that's where we have to see that it's not just preaching that brings about change. It's not just me standing in a pulpit that brings about change. Preaching the good news confronts idols, but it's the repentance of the church that causes riots. Now, I want you to notice something else, and then I'm going to take about, hopefully, 10 minutes-ish. But there's one thing I want us to see here. This church was not picketing idols. This church was not making statements of don't buy these idols. This church was not trying to close down these people's businesses for the sake of the gospel. This church just repented of their sin and was stewarding their money in ways that they should have been, and it affected culture. Hear me on this. We as a church are not called to picket, protest, and try to close down businesses. Our call is to repent of our sin and humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways, and God will use it to change things. He'll use it. He will use our repentance to change things. But so often we spend all of our time, change it, you guys got to close this industry, stop this. And listen, it does need to stop, but we keep funding it. And I'm not here to tell you how to change and spend your money. But I am here to say, when his people repent, people get nervous. 
things start changing. I think a lot of us can relate to this, that we're not taken very seriously because we have a lot of really good sermons and not a lot of repentance. Right? A lot of good advice for the world on how they could be better culture. A lot of good ideas for how we could really help. But when they really start taking notice is when it affects their gods, their wealth. Now listen, the only way we're going to confront the idols in our culture is when we start to see that those are our idols. I could go after so many cultural idols because I know for a fact the idols are there and I think part of a missionary's job is not only to proclaim the good news but to expose the idols. Missionary's job is to reason and walk through and talk to and show that these idols are trying to trap and destroy. These, these things are there and there's so many in our culture. Listen, if we start, there's no way I, I, I could go into... A, all the American idols, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the TV show, right? <laughs> but there is one that is actually not just an American idol, but has been rooted deeply into the fabric of societies throughout all of history. And that is the love of money. Can you see why it's so dangerous for us to believe that following God makes us rich and it actually confirms our idolatry for the love of money? Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and... Nobody knows that. God and... Money. Isn't it interesting because you would think you can't serve God and Satan. But Jesus, in his words of calling us out of this, uh, of this worship of these idols, he chooses this love for money as the greatest pull for our affections. The greatest pull for our worship, devotion, and service that is competing with God himself. Nothing can compete with God. But if there's anything that's trying and making a dent, it's the love for money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, But godliness without contentment, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. Every time I hear that, I can just picture my dad. I tried to run away one time and he said, Take your clothes off. I said, What? It's weird, you pervert, you know? He said, No, you came into my house naked, you're leaving my house naked, right? I said, Fine, I'll stay, weirdo, right? For we brought nothing into this world, we can't take anything out of this world, but if you have food and clothing, you should be content. Isn't it interesting, the things that God puts on your lists that you should be content? Food and clothing. He doesn't even add a nice house, a good car, just food and clothing. 
But those who desire riches fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it is through this craving that some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Hear this. It's saying there are many people who have literally walked away from their faith in Christ for money. There is scripture after scripture, words of Jesus after words of Jesus, warnings of apostolic warnings over and over and over and over again, not against money, but against the worship and the love of money. And, 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 and hear me on this. This is an easy target. I get it. But look at your life. How often do you think about money? How many of your decisions are based on money? Everything you do throughout the day is to make money. We determine whether we're successful or not successful based upon money. You look at other people and give them value based upon how much money they make. You vote for leaders based upon what they'll do for the economy. You determine what's acceptable and unacceptable based upon money. You justify your behavior based upon money. You lie, you cheat, you steal, all under the banner of sales and justify it by how much money you make. You add write-offs. You give yourself good. You, you don't give to the Lord because you don't have enough. You, you withhold from the community. You make decisions day in and day out. We are so trapped in this, we can't even picture what it would be like to worship God because all of our lives were worshiping money. And that doesn't matter how much money you make. You could be rich or poor and still worship money. Our country worships money. Scripture says the root of all kinds of evil is because of the love of money. We live in a country in which the bottom line determines what is good and what is not good. Our music, our arts, Everything is revolved around money. And it would be easy for me to sit up here and go, look, it would be easy to kind of throw grenades at obvious sin industries, sin industries that are literally funding our economy, the sex trade, the porn industry, the drug industry, continued Funding of the economy, that if we were really to repent of these obvious choices, if we were really to repent of what these things are doing, if we were really, it would literally crash our economy. Take those off the table. And we are shocked 
when people of other skin colors are treated differently and we call it systematic racism in our world and we go, nah, there's nothing like that. That's not a problem. Why? Because if we did, we would have to admit that many of that racist roots is rooted in bringing in people for free labor that has fueled our economy. And bottom line is if they go, our, body, our economy tanks, but we also don't want them to succeed. So we deny it. We ignore it. We make excuses. Why? Because what would repentance actually look like? I don't know for the country. I'll tell you that. Because I'm not sitting here trying to say the country needs to repent when I could just look at the church and see that the church is fueled by that same greed. They hire, they fire, they start ministries, they buy buildings, they make decisions all based upon the love of money. And we look out there and go, eh, everybody just wants money. And we haven't even repented ourselves. This is not about us looking and saying this idol is out there because it's easy to spot if you would just open your eyes and have discernment. The reality is this call is disruptive to me, church. This call hurts me, it's like asking a fish, what's water like? They're going to be like, I don't know. I just swim in it every day. <laughs> it's like asking me, what does it mean to worship money and have the pressure of the affections going after that love? It's, like, I don't, it's just around me. It's everywhere. I can't get away from it. This is why it causes confusion and anger. Because even hearing a message like this, it starts to feel impossible. How do you repent of this? Should I just give all my money away and, and just live poor and not have it? No, that's not what they did. They started not buying some things that God had convicted. They started giving generously and taking care of the poor. They started helping the orphans and the widows. They started living with that and living as stewards generous. It wasn't just get rid of it all they they served with it. See, we try to make it easy and just, I shouldn't have money, I shouldn't have money. That's the big dad, I shouldn't have money. That's not the issue. It's the love of money. It's the bottom line of how we can't even separate ourselves from this idolatry. And you can see how this causes great confusion. And it's disruptive. So let me give you a couple of things that I've tried to do as I wrestle with this because the hard part for me as I read this text is seeing Paul trying to run back into the court and just let me talk to him, let me talk to him. Like me standing up here is not me eliminating myself from the problem. But there's a couple things we really need to do, church. Because we could sit around here and go, how can we be this kind of church where it just causes upheaval in the world? Repent. Repent. And let God bring 
the kind of cultural impact that it's going to bring. Repent. You say, what, what does repentance look like? Well, we talk about this often with the gospel and vocation, and a lot of times we talk about what does it look like to be a man who works or a woman who works for the glory of God rather than for a paycheck. We talk about that a lot. Your work is worship, for sure. But also you know that when you go into a workplace, not only are you working hard and you being amongst people and living and, and showing what working for the glory of God looks like, but often in your workplace, you're going to run into confronting idols. That means that you don't outwork everybody and work more, more hours than everybody else. It means when you are submitted to the gospel, there's a time to work and then there's a time to clock out and care for your family. That means, and care for your community. That means we can't just keep making excuses that all of my life I'm about the dollar and I got to go out and make money and I got to do this and I can't be around the people of God and in the church and I can't give because I, I'm taught that we've got to start fighting the idols of our vocational if we want the gospel to be seen. Yes, work for the glory of God and yes, be a light into that workplace. But what does it look like for us to repent, and I'll just give you four things and then we'll pray. One is at least recognize. Recognize that your heart is drawn toward the worship of something else. There's desire. Recognize the idol. Don't ignore it. Recognize it. Two, see that your idolatry doesn't just affect you. But sin is bigger than just personal issues. Our worship affects us for sure, but it also affects our family and our community and our nation. And it affects those that our sin is cosmic in scope. That sin has affected everything. And recognize what repentance is, church. Repentance is the rejection of a kingdom and entering into this new kingdom. Leaving the kingdoms of this world and entering into this new kingdom. My son came to me this week, sat down with me, and on his own just confessed sin in his life. I loved that. That was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. And I'm not just saying that, uh, but it was. I sat there in humility, seeing one of my sons being convicted by the Spirit and coming and saying, Dad, this is what's going on in my life. And this was not, I caught. This was, I confess. And it was in that moment that everything in me wanted to be, stop doing this, hate this, and even hearing my, my son just go, Dad, I don't want to like this anymore. I like it, but I don't want to like it. I wish it would just go away, that everything in me wanted to be like, yeah, let's pray for that. But instead, I realized it's not about hating something. It's about loving something more. 
you will never hate money. You shouldn't hate money. You just shouldn't love it and worship it. The reality of this is that you will never know how to steward money, care for money, use money as a tool until all your affections and desires are not turned towards that and you turn them towards a greater affection. It's the best example I can give is like when you try to, when somebody breaks up with you and, and you're like, oh man, I want to hate them. You sit there and think of all the things you hated about them. They're a dog. I hate them so much. And you just like run around, talk to your friends and you go back to your room and you're just like, I want to hate them, but I can't. I just love them so much. Everything reminds me of them. And then as soon as that new bay comes along, a new affection. You're like, who? I don't even know who you're talking about. What? Who are you talking about? Why? Because you don't have the power to hate something. But what the gospel does is put your greater love, affection on the one who's only deserving of that love. And so when that temptation comes and when that desire to worship and make decisions and go after money, when that the only way you're going to ever be turning from it is if you're turning towards something. You take that thought captive and you put it under the obedience of who? Christ. It's your love for God. It's your love for him. It's your worship of him that detaches your heart from the love of other things. So today, today, church, what we do as we come to this table is we remember that our lives as Christians, this is beautiful, is a life of faith and repentance. And if you ever get tired of those two things, you'll walk away because it never stops. Every day, faith and repentance. Turning from, turning towards. Every day, reaffirming, walking away. Every choice, every time I spend a dollar, I'm making a choice where I'm going to put my affection and where I'm going to put my treasures. Every day I'm having to repent of my desire to do this and, and place it upon Christ. Or, or, or is this a good stewardship? Every day we're walking in that place and that tension. I've got to repent and trust and repent and trust. And if we ever get tired of trusting and repenting, we'll get tired of following completely. Here's the call to sit because you will only be confused and angry if you try to figure out how to repent without the spirit because right now if you're feeling confusion and anger you should turn your hearts and minds with me spirit come and convict the spirit's the one who shows us where our hearts are at. The Spirit's the one who shows That's why David, when he prayed the prayer of repentance, don't take your spirit from me. Ask the Spirit to show you areas, idols in your life, things that are controlling you and where you're finding your identity. Ask the Spirit to do it because I can't. I can't. I can warn. I can yell. I can wave my hands around. But the Spirit does the work. Ask the Spirit, and as a sign of faith and repentance, come to this table and drink deeply of what you really need. And that's the body and blood of Jesus. So sit for a while.
in repentance. And then when you're ready, come and partake of communion. Father, we ask for your spirit to come and meet with us, to disrupt our lives, to expose any idols, and to give us the heart to repent and trust. Lord, we know that we're in this fight every day and it's not just going to be a one-time thing right now. But Father, even as we walk out of this room, there's things we got to continue to walk in repentance and faith and trust. God, give us the heart to turn to you, put our affections upon you, fight those fights. And God, as we continue to walk in humility and repentance, use that to impact our neighbor. Use that to impact our world. Use that to display what your kingdom should look like. Use that to display what your heart is. Use that to change our city. Use that to help God change our hearts. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.